Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Blitz on the Balcony, presented by Brews on the Balcony. I am Zach Zook, and this is the penultimate show that we are going to be having uh, for Blitz. Uh, until we shut it down for the month of July, we'll get ramped up again once training camp and uh, everything starts you know, kind of heating up as we build towards August, September, starting on time. So uh, because this is the penultimate show, I want to talk about a variety of different things. And first off, uh, the NFL players that have tested positive for coronavirus and how that is obviously going to affect things moving forward. Uh, We had prominent players like Zeke, uh, who got it earlier this week, but there have been other players like Kareem Jackson of the Denver Broncos safety. He has tested positive for coronavirus. And then, of course, you had players months and months ago that had tested positive as well, Von Miller being amongst those. So I want to talk about uh, NFL players that have caught the coronavirus and how that may change or impact some things. And then how this season is going to be different. I want to aggregate kind of all the different news stories that have dropped over the past several months about the changes that the NFL will be making. Uh, they just recently announced no joint practice. So uh, some new some new stories, some old stories. I just want to kind of aggregate it all uh, for the listener to uh, highlight what's going to be different here in 2020 and then lead into how certain teams that have really killed it this offseason with their workouts and with the virtual OTAs, how those teams will be at an advantage come week one. And, you know, you see it on social media now. We have such access to these teams and these players that you can kind of tell who's gotten a leg up and who has still been, you know, put them working. And then I kind of want to talk about a couple player stories. Cam Newton's prospects of getting signed before the season. Jadevian Clowney rejected the Seahawks offer. And then uh, to, to finish up, we'll talk about Reggie Bush getting reinstated back at USC. And then kind of just the general cheating culture of college football. So let's get into it. And we'll start with the uh, NFL players that have come down with the coronavirus. Zeke was obviously far and away the biggest story uh, he when he when it was announced that he had it and his agent confirmed it to Schefter or Rappaport, I can't remember who, he, tw- he tweeted out just HIPAA with a question mark, and it was like the number one trending thing on my Twitter for about an hour. And it, it brought up an interesting discussion, I think, because private companies do not have to follow HIPAA laws as long as it's outside of the healthcare and the healthcare professional isn't the one that leaks the info like the agent can legally leak the info the nfl can leak his info if they find it out because they're not bound to the same standards as the healthcare system but beyond that some somewhat interesting discussion that took place when zeke had it is the nfl is now is starting mass testing and they're finding out more of these players have it kareem jackson was one that had it and I think that it is bringing forth a, you know, depressing reality, but a reality nonetheless that, look, guys are going to get sick. Guys are going to get this. And I think the NFL is going to play through it. And I, I, I just, I, I have a tough time, you know, where to stand on this because at, at the at on one hand it is it's it's a it's a game it's a sport right but it's not just a game you know it's just a game when i'm playing it at the high school level it's just a game when you're playing it in the backyard but 
When you're making millions of dollars to do this, it's not just a game anymore. When it's your primary source of income and people, you know, all around the country make millions and millions of dollars on this, and every Sunday the NFL makes billions, it is a multi-billion dollar corporation when you add it all up. And so it's really not just a game. It's not just a sport. So what the NFL is doing, I think, is trying to be as safe as possible while acknowledging that it's not going to be perfect and saying, hey, you know, if you don't want to show up to work, if you don't want to, you know, play, that's fine, but we're going we're gonna to play. And I think the NFL players and the teams in the league are pretty much all on the same page with this, unlike a lot of the other sports. And I saw the tweet from Anthony Fauci earlier today that football is going to have a tough time playing unless they insulate everybody in a bubble and play the games that way, kind of like the NBA is doing. And obviously, I don't think that's going to be the case. And it sounds like the, you know, now there's not going to be fans. I don't think that's as big of a deal to the owners. It'll be a bigger deal, but I don't think it affects the games being played. But I think just a harsh reality of this situation is that there are going to be players that will get coronavirus and that will continue to get coronavirus as society has, you know, sort of reopened up around the country. We've seen different places like Florida and Texas have jumped up in their numbers and it's going to happen all over. And I think that as long as the NFL specifically as a business plans for that and tries as hard as they can to be as safe as possible and the players understand the inherent risks I don't see the the moral wrongdoing there you know like it's everybody's independent decision to make and if you don't want to place yourself at risk for this and if you don't want to be around it nobody's forcing you you can forfeit your money you can forfeit your salary and you can sit out I mean, it's, it's no different than a contract dispute, really, uh, in, in terms of the choice you have to show up at the facility and play. But I think that it's it's gotten to the point now where we've found out a little bit more about this thing as a society and as a country, people are figuring out how to move forward the best we can because if you stay still for too long, like... It, we'll all die, right? Like, and that sounds so morbid and a little bit of an overreaction, and it is. But, uh, you know, like, the point of the matter is you can't stay in stagnation forever. And so businesses now are starting to try to innovate. How, you know, how can we still run our business being as safe as possible and minimizing the risk? Like, we realize that it's it's not a perfect world it's not going to be completely sanitary and there's not going to be, it's not without risk. Heck, life isn't without risk, right? So I think that businesses across America are figuring out how can we reopen up? How can we reopen our business while still being safe and mindful of our customers and mindful of our employees? I think the NFL is just basically doing the same thing. And so I I, I do think though that it could end up, they could receive some backlash in in the public eye. They could receive some backlash from the media because I think if players continue to get it, I I really don't think it's going to impact uh, the, the league all that much. Now, where I think it could take a turn and where they really could get a ton of backlash is if 
Wonder if some player gets it and passes away from. I mean, God forbid. Wonder if, wonder if a player gets it and passes away from it. That kind of changes things, I would think, because when you're talking about these NFL athletes, they are probably the least at-risk population in the world. They are in their 20s for the most part. They are physically fit and healthy, and they are world-class athletes. So their bodies are in, you know, premium shape to deal or come deal with or combat a virus. So I think it would change a little bit. Like if you had somebody, especially if it was not the guy in the end of the 53-man roster, but you know, a prominent player like a starter, and not that 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 person's life matters more than the end of the 50, the end of the guy at the 53. But we can all quit pretending like it would be the same thing if a if a no-name guy on defense passed away from Corona or if Tom Brady did. I mean, like let's just be honest with ourselves here. The impact and the buzz would be much different. So. My only worry is if something like that were to happen, I, I think that would dramatically change things. But until that happens, I think that, you know, the players understand the risks, the employees understand the risks, the, the coaches understand the risks, and they all kind of want to come back. I mean, it really does feel like they're on the same page. They all want to have a season, and they just want to do it as safe as possible while understanding that it's not a perfect world and there's going to be s- some risk involved. So let's move on to how this season will be different. Uh, We've already kind of discussed it a little bit. It's a good segue, but it was just announced, I think a couple days ago, that there's not going to be any joint practices this season. And most most good organizations really like the joint practices because it gives you a chance to hit somebody other than your own teammates. It gives you live reps. It's the closest thing to a game that you're going to see and it gives you a chance to to look at your team against somebody else because you're going against your guys. But it gives you, in these joint practices, uh, a chance to go up against different schemes, against different plays, against different players, like looks that your practice squad players, like they just can't replicate. Like you get to go against Deshaun Watson if you're having a, a joint practice with the Texans. Or you get to go against Carson Wentz and the RPO running Eagles when maybe your team doesn't run RPOs very often. It's really tough to get a look in practice. And more than that, I mean, when you're just beating up on each other day after day after day in training camp, like the chance to go at somebody else is is nice. Like I, I don't have to worry about hurting you necessarily. I'll take you to the ground. Like that, I remember back in, you know, high school and college, like we had, you know, j- different joint practices and exhibition games. You don't really call them preseason games in college, but I remember we played this school in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. And it was nice because we, were, we had two days for like three straight weeks. And then finally, like we get to prepare for this Minneapolis team. Augsburg was the name of the college. We, we get to prepare for this team. We get to go over there and we get to beat the shit out of those guys instead of beating on each other. And so I think it's a big morale booster. So that'll be a big loss this season. And I, I think that you could see offenses in particular struggle, especially in the month of September because of the no joint practice, because of the virtual OTAs, because of the virtual workouts. Defenses are typically at an advantage early on anyways, but in the NFL, I feel like it's negated pretty much because the quarterbacks and the wide receivers are able to get in you know, their work, and they're able to pretty much get on that same page by the time week one happens. So it's minimalized in the NFL. 
but the advantage for the defense is still there early on because offense is simply more nuanced and more complicated. On defense, I have to learn my base coverages, and then we install different coverages like a cloud or a sky or, hey, you know, they like to run this trips into the boundary. We don't really want to commit another safety over there because they're trying to isolate or they're going to cross them all over the field anyways. Like we don't want to roll a safety over the top like we normally would in trips. So we're going to do, you know, a zone replace or we're going to run something different this week. So you have those adjustments week in and week out on the defensive side of the ball. But for the most part, you get your base coverages down, your base stunts, your slants, your blitzes down. And it's very minimal what you add in once week one starts and you're tailoring it to your opponents. So the defenses are pretty much up to speed week one. Whereas on the offensive side of the ball, there's much more install that goes on over the course of a season because you want to continue to add in wrinkles to your offense, throw in something that the defense hasn't seen before. Like you have to continue to be innovative throughout the season and coaches know that and coaches hold back different schemes and plays and wrinkles on purpose to use later on in the year. But the the offenses just take it takes more timing it takes more rhythm whereas the defense is a reactionary you know it, it's a reactionary concept like I'm reacting to what the offense is doing and when you're running like that it's more you know instinctual right so there's no really way to prepare for it you just have you know your base coverages your assignments when this receiver does this I do this when this lineman pulls, I do this. So w once you figure out how to read all that, it doesn't really matter what the offense throws at you because you're going to react a certain way. But on the offensive side of the ball, you're thinking, all right, well, if the defense lines up this way, we got to block this screen a certain way. But if the corners lined up 10 yards off, then you might have to crack back and get the safety. Like there's a lot of different nuance. And so I think we could watch some... Not so great offense, especially in the month of September, assuming the season starts on time. But I do think that the teams that have continuity, that haven't had to undergo a ton of change this offseason, will be at a significant advantage over teams that haven't. I mean, I saw on social media yesterday, the, the 49ers were basically running a full scale, you know, like seven on seven workout with the quarterbacks and the wide receivers yesterday on the turf. Like these guys that have been able to overcome during this virtual period are going to be at a significant advantage come September. And I think that, uh, you know, free advice, I think we should all try and take a, take a lesson and bet that way. So let's shift now. And I, I want to talk about uh, Cam Newton because I think that it's become a little bit forgotten that he has still not been signed. I mean, as of right now, Cam Newton is a is a free agent and we're getting to the point now where the season's around the corner, we've completed OTAs, he plays a position where you need to know more than any other player on the field and man, I I know that he 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 can potentially I think his best play is if somebody goes down with an injury. Like, let's say Kirk Cousins goes down with an injury, like Teddy Bridgewater did. That forced the Vikings' hands to make the trade for Sam Bradford. Well, let's say Kirk Cousins goes down, or let's say Matt Stafford goes down before week one, and Patricia's like, well, you know, my job's on the line here. 
I have to get a quarterback. I can't just play 16 games with Jeff Driscoll and say, well, we'll get him next year. I think that is a team that could sign Cam Newton. But I look around the league right now, and everybody's got their quarterback. And a lot of teams have their backups, too. I mean, like the Saints, if Breeze goes down, they're playing Winston. They have no room for Cam. And I think I feel bad for him because as poorly as he's kind of declined over the years, and that's that was always the worry with him. I mean, even during the MVP year, it's like, I mean, this guy's got to slide. Guy's got to get out of bounds like this is going to take a toll on your body. And that's the same thing I worry about with Lamar Jackson, who is a much slighter frame than Cam Newton, mind you. But Cam Newton hasn't had the accuracy and the pocket passing ability to carry him through these injuries that have limited his mobility and part of the I mean I mean a big part of it is the shoulder issue which has nothing to do obviously with his legs or his mobility but he injured the shoulder you know running the football so you, you know I, th- I think he's remained unsigned because of the questions about the health but the questions about the health remain because I don't think he's been able to get fully checked out by, you know, NFL doctors. And even if he has been able to get checked out, teams don't feel comfortable enough with what they've been able to accomplish over the past, you know, couple months during free agency. And and this thing was kind of at its peak around the time free agency was happening. And so he missed that that window. And, I, you know, I, I just, I have a tough time seeing him in a good situation this year because I think at best he's going to have to sign with a random team the first starting quarterback that goes down in training camp like if Dwayne Haskins goes down Matt Stafford goes down Phillip Rivers goes down like that is gonna have to be the the angle Cam Newton plays sign a one-year deal and then try to play yourself into a multi-year contract to be a franchise quarterback next season because that's just that offer has sailed. It's not happening. I don't think it was ever there for him. And I've never been the biggest Cam Newton guy, but he is an NFL starter. Uh, I, I don't think he's a top 10 one. I don't even think he's a top 15 one. But top 20, top 25, like he's absolutely better than, you know, Haskins and some of the lower level starters we have in the NFL right now. So uh, I, I just don't know if he's going to be able to get a starting role at this point in the offseason. And I think that he could be looking at a gap year or, you know, signing because of an injury. But if I were him, I'd even be hesitant to do that because do you really want to go to a place where maybe the team wasn't projected to do well with their starter anyways, then they bring you into the fold. You're going to have to learn a new offense. It's just a one-year deal. You're on a, you know, a sinking ship. And then maybe you get hurt again or you don't perform that well. And then, you're really in jeopardy. So for Cam Newton, I I think that it's possible that we see him take a gap year. And I don't think it would be all that weird. And we've seen baseball players come close to doing it. Like I remember Mike Moustakis almost did one year before he ended up, you know, signing the one-year deal. I Didn't J.D. Martinez do it? Uh, So it's not, you know, it's not totally unheard of in sports for a situation like this to occur but in Cam Newton's situation I I just don't see this having a happy ending at least in 2020 I think his 
best prospects are for maybe some guys to fail this year. I mean, Mitch Trubisky ends up being out. Bears are going to be looking for a quarterback. If Ron Rivera doesn't like the look of Dwayne Haskins, they're going to be looking for a quarterback. If Drew Locke flops in his first year as the full-time starter, Denver could be looking to ship him out. Uh, There are a couple teams that are always going to be in the market for a QB, but Cam may have to be, you know, a little patient this year because I just, I I think that the only path, the only path to starting in the NFL this season in 2020 for Cam is through injury. And I I am sad that's the case. I mean, he's... it sounds like on his social media and stuff, like I see videos of him working out and he looks great. I mean, he looks healthy, but the fact of the matter is the NFL teams have, have concerns about that. And because of that, a player of his value, that's going to command a high number is not going to sign for less than he feels like he's worth. And an NFL franchise is not going to commit the amount of dollars that he actually is worth with the health concerns. So it's really a tough situation. I feel for Cam, and I hope that uh, I, I hope that he's able to find some work this fall, assuming the season takes place, and kind of you know have a little bit of a resurgence here. But some time off, you know, for a guy that runs all the time and a guy that's body's beat up, I, I don't think that you know a year off or a year being a backup, like I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world to then go sign and play elsewhere with you know, uh, a, a fully healthy, you know, frame. I mean, when's the last time that Cam Newton was really healthy? I, I would venture to say his MVP season because then he had the concussion. I think he got injured in the Falcons game then the year after. And since then, they've just piled up on him. So let's move on to Jadevian Clowney. We talked about Dalvin Cook last week and his contract situation. And I'm going to echo similar sentiments to Jadevian Clowney, but for different reasons. Jadevian Clowney turned down a one-year deal from the Seahawks that was reportedly worth more AAV than the deal he was offered from the Browns. And, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about his, you know, contract situation on this podcast here before, but what what, what, is, what is he doing? What in the world is he doing? Like, like, is he aware that we're in the midst of a global pandemic? This... Offer that you think is coming, Clowney, is not. Especially at this stage of the game. At this stage of the offseason, teams are getting prepared to go to war. Teams are getting prepared to start training camp. They are getting prepared to know what their two deep is and to install schemes and to install, you know, the defense. And you're not on a team. I And you're holding out for what? You want this huge multi-year contract because he's been offered high money to go come back to the Seahawks again and he's been offered high money to go to the Browns and he's turned down both of them and, and both are pretty good opportunities I mean the Browns flopped last year but with Kevin Stefanski I think he's infinitely better than Freddie Kitchens I, I think that team's going to be one of the teams to watch this year and the Seahawks are always successful with Pete Carroll and John Schneider like they know what the fuck they're doing so like, my advice to Connie is like, buddy, like, we're in the midst of a global pandemic where things are uncertain anyways, and you're turning down contracts left and right for, I don't know, whatever perceived worth you think you have. Like, it, I mean, it's tough to judge ourselves sometimes, isn't it? I mean, talented guy, but underachiever. I mean, the definition of underachiever. I mean, when the guy decides to turn it on and play, 
He's amazing. But the problem is, over the course of his career, he has not consistently been that. And he's been a little bit of a problem in the locker room. He's been a little bit of a headache. And as you can see here, like, nobody wants to give him big money. Like, who cares? Like, I, I'm going to have to pay you top 10 edge rusher money when you're not a top 10 edge rusher. Like, it goes back to the old Jerry Jones thing. Like, I have no problem paying a premium for a premium. Well, in where he gets into trouble is I don't want to pay a premium for a non-premium. That's what Jadevian Clowney is. He's not Khalil Mack. He's not Nick Bosa. He is not Miles Garrett. He's, he's not even Miles Garrett. Like, he's a good, inconsistent player with unreal physical traits. But to pretend he's on the same level as some of these guys, like even like TJ Watt, like he's not the, he's not the same player as him. He, he doesn't add the same value to the franchise as him. He really is the edge version of Ndamukong Sue, if you ask me. I mean, he's a complete mercenary that adds zero off-the-field value to your franchise, zero leadership ability, and in fact, he takes away off-the-field and in the locker room. And what he gives you on the field is inconsistent. Like, I'm not a huge fan of his, and I have no idea what he is holding out for. Like, it's not coming. Whatever you think is coming, whatever contract you think is going to be offered, it's it's not happening. So uh, my advice to him is like, dude, like these are, I mean, the Browns are not a high, have not proven to be a high level organization, but as far as I can tell, the GM Barry and Stefanski, pretty high level guys, like knocked the draft out of the park. Stefanski's had success everywhere he's gone. Like, I I, I think they're going to be okay this year. And the Seahawks are about as high level as it gets. Like, it, it, it's not like the Jacksonville Jags are offering you this money, and then you also feel like it, it's not worth it. Like, you know, m maybe sign the deal and, and just play some football this year. And again, I'm not advocating for players to take less money, but it's not like Jadevian Connie's getting the shaft here. He's been offered, I think, a fair amount of money for what he's worth on the field. And for whatever reason, the guy just refuses to sign the contract. And so especially when you make, uh, when you muck up a situation and it's as public and dragged out as Clowney's has been over the last year or two, really, since the Texans shipped him off and couldn't come to a high, couldn't come to an agreement with him. Like, he's going to be under a microscope now when he does play. And I, I don't think that's going to be good for his brand either. So let's talk about, you know, let's move on. We'll talk about Reggie Bush back at USC. He is uh, reinstated. And I think all that means is they can put him on like season tickets and stuff. They can honor him at halftime of the games. They can have him come speak at the university. They can use him to promote their brand, whereas they could not before because of the sanctions imposed. And I always have thought that, the punishment that Reggie Bush committed never fit the crime. Like the NCAA just decided to try and make an example out of him. And that's the whole issue with the NCAA. It's like you have widespread cheating going on in your institution and you just kind of pick and choose when and where you come down. And it's not consistent. It's really pretty random. It's more of just lip service for the public eye. And that's kind of the issue that I've always had with the NCAA and to pretend like these athletes aren't getting paid, like especially in college basketball. And really now, like at, at the big programs, like not every power five school is paying its players, but like 
you know, the ones that are winning are. Like, you just think out of nowhere, every good player is going to Clemson. Come on. I mean, they became a national powerhouse overnight. Why? Because Dabo Sweeney's paying them. I mean, it's like, it, it is what it is. Like, Nick Saban pays the guys. Eddie O pays the guys. Like, especially when these guys come up in the transfer portal, like Justin Fields, Ohio State is paying the guys. And I've long held, you know, I'm a diehard Michigan fan. Now, I wouldn't, like, be shocked if Michigan was paying its players, but the main reason I don't think they're paying their players and the reason I, like, I think Jim is running kind of like a clean show over there is because they don't get as good of guys. Like, it's so obvious on the field. Like, Penn State has passed them. Ohio State is is light years ahead of them. In terms of the talent, like Michigan State, Michigan is not getting the same level player that Ohio State and Penn State is. Like Penn State, coming back from basically the death penalty and the uh, the Jerry Sandusky stuff and the in the Joe Pa stuff. Now they're they have passed Michigan. They are getting better players than Michigan. That should not be happening. You know why it's happening? Because James Franklin's paying the guys. And, and I'm not, I'm not even like, I'm not mad about it. I, I don't hold that against James Franklin. I don't hold that against Ohio State. I don't hold that against Bama or LSU. That's the game. I wish that the NCAA would just stop pretending that this isn't going on and we could regulate it somehow and quit pretending that these players are just student athletes in quotes. They're not. This is a minor league system for the NFL. The NFL is, is profiting huge off this because while Major League Baseball has to have like nine different minor league organizations and they have to pay these organizations and these teams and they have to pay the players, college does it for them. College develops the guys for them. They take them when they're 18, boom, they're ready to play on an NFL roster and be one of the best players in the NFL in certain cases when they're drafted. They don't need three years of development in some minor league NFL system. College football is doing that for them. I mean, it's a great gig for the NFL. And so if you're the NCAA, like, just realize what you are and capitalize on it and stop trying to put up this bullshit facade of morality because it's not true. Nobody buys it. And if if you're the NCAA, like, let's just sanction it. And I think they've taken some positive steps towards the... Uh, the stipends that they've given student athletes, like that's a positive move in the right direction. And I think we're headed there. I just, I think especially on like the big power five scale, Reggie Bush getting brought back to USC is kind of evoked. Like there's a huge cheating college culture that's going on. And I'm not talking like division two or division three. I'm not even talking FBS. I'm not even talking group of five, really. I'm talking like the blue blood college football programs are doing this. And that's how they're getting all the good players. That in addition to their brand. Like if USC, you know, got a, got a coach in there that started, you know, paying guys, they'd be better. There's a reason they dropped off a cliff when Pete Carroll left. They stopped paying the guys. And they, you know, they, they, weren't, they stopped getting the players. Chip Kelly probably was paying the guys. That's how Oregon got all the good players. It's, it's not all that complicated. And I know it's not probably what you know certain fans of college football teams you don't want to admit you're cheating but like I don't even look at view it necessarily as as cheating because it is so widespread as much as like I just wish that it was sanctioned that's why it's cheating and that's why that's why it's an issue like they have to somehow sanction or regulate the the pay that the college kids are getting like 
give schools X amount of dollars to pay your scholarship kids, like, or, or figure out a way to so that it's fair. And then I think you'd see college football become a lot more competitive, a lot more competitive, because you would get kids staying at home in their home states to play. And it wouldn't be so regionalized like it's become. I think that's the biggest issue with college football. It's the same schools over and over again. It's the SEC, head and shoulders above everybody else. Why? Because the SEC brings in more money. Therefore, the SEC has more money to pay the kids. That's how they get all the good players. The SEC is pulling kids from California. They're pulling kids from Pennsylvania. They're pulling kids from New Jersey. Why aren't those kids playing in the ACC? Why aren't those, why, why is some kid in Northern California going to play football at Ole Miss? Like that shit was not happening in the 70s and the 80s. And, and I, I think it would benefit the sport and it would benefit college football if they can just progress and figure out a way to regulate it. And that's kind of my message. And that's kind of where I hope uh, college football is headed. And again, I'm talking on the large scale here. I'm not talking FBS. I'm not talking Division Two, Division Three. I'm talking Power Five, guys that are clearly headed to the NFL. They are in school to go to the NFL, not there to necessarily get a degree. And there are obviously, like, a lot of those guys won't make it, but to pretend that... Anybody on Clemson's roster's goal isn't to make it to the league, you're kidding yourself. Even the 120th person on Clemson's roster is think has NFL dreams and aspirations. That's why they are there. And so I, I think the sooner that we can acknowledge that, and I don't think it's like I don't think it's morally wrong. I, I really don't at the end of the day. Like I don't I would not crush the NCAA if they said if they acknowledged that this is happening and then regulated it essentially. Like, I I think that would be a positive thing. So that'll do it for our show. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week will be the last show that we're going to have for a little while. Now, if something breaks, maybe we'll do a special podcast. But I'm going to take the month of July off. A lot going on. And there really isn't any news in July until training camp starts up. So uh, we're going to next week will be the last show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, drop them on Twitter at at BlitzBOTB. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can hit us up on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is usually our most successful platform. So reach out to us. We're everywhere. If you have any questions that you uh, want next week or topics discussed, other than that, thank you so much for making us a part of your day and we'll see you next time.